This episode is brought to you by Thorn, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorn is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements... The tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label. And then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now, Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s, where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorn, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorn. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, 
you will get 15% off not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. Welcome to episode 575 of Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing, and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Nicole Kapolovitz. Now, I first met Nicole when she came to my tactical strength and conditioning class a few years ago. Since then, she joined our team in the 343 Hero Challenge, which is a firefighter fundraiser that we used to do every year. And she just became the first female firefighter of this new generation to pass the Florida Smoke Diver course. So before we get to this incredible conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of 575 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so I can get them to every single person who needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Nicole Kapolovitz. Enjoy. Well, Nicole, I want to start by saying thank you so much for coming to my home and uh, playing with my dogs first. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) Welcome. But no, but but coming on to the podcast. So I've known you for a little while now. Obviously, we did the 343 together. You came to Tactical Athlete class and we'll get all that stuff. But you're also um, the first woman to become a Florida smoke diver in this second generation. I never actually got confirmation of the first one. I don't know if you did or not. No, I don't. I haven't asked because I... That's not the reason I did it. Um, that wasn't the but, reason you did it? Just to just to check a box? No. <laughs> um, but so many people have asked me and brought it up since then. And I don't. I just don't have an answer for them. Um, so I guess I should look into it, but I haven't yet. Um, but yeah, I get. I could be. I don't know yet. Yeah. But it's one of those <laughs> things, though, that's it's important and it's not. Because at the mm-hmm. end of the day, Nicole passed smoke divers, you know? Mm-hmm. If you were black, you know, whatever for any of these check boxes that people love it really doesn't change anything it was your journey but yeah. you know i think it's important to also you know recognize if something has never been done before then you know to acknowledge that too yeah definitely i had a a few i've run into a bunch of females and people obviously in general from like competitions and and conferences and whatnot and i had some people reach out to me like after like even women i didn't know but they knew a guy that i went through with or something and they would I was getting like random Facebook messages like, hey, awesome job. Like so cool that you made it through this and that. Like just other women reaching out like that. It's awesome that I did it. And that that did open my eyes to like, man, this is pretty cool because now hopefully they, they'll go and go through, you know, like I shouldn't be the, the, the last one to go. No, there should be a lot because we can it. Anybody can do it. They just have to go and do it. Absolutely. Well, we'll get into all that because I know the preparation is brutal. I was actually <laughs> on on my way and no excuses. Like I never even got close to being prepared. I tore my knee and then I transitioned out of the fire service. And once my Y was gone, I'm like, I do not need to go through the smoke mm-hmm. diver program if I'm not going to be riding a rig anymore. That's just not my Y anymore. 
However, you know, we'll get into all that. So firstly, for people listening, um, tell them, you know, obviously we're in my house, but tell me where, where you are <laughs> situated. Where are you based normally? Um, so I live here in Ocala right now. Um, I've lived here for almost six years. Nice area. <laughs> <It's a poster. laughs> yeah, I like it. Well, I'm from South Florida. Okay. So I, I enjoy it up here. I do. People think I'm crazy sometimes, but I enjoy it. Well, speaking of South Florida, I love to start at the very beginning of your kind of chronological journey. So tell me, you, you said you were born in the Pembroke Pines area. So tell me kind of where you were born, but also tell me about your family dynamics. So what your parents did, how many siblings, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, so I'm from Pembroke Pines, Hollywood. I went to Flanagan High School down there. Um, I was born and raised in the same house, same neighborhood. Uh, and I actually loved where I lived, where my parents had us. Uh, we lived 15 minutes from Hollywood Beach, Dania Beach. So we would like get out of high school and drive to the drive to the beach. It was awesome. Um, I had all my friends down there. Our family lives down there. The farthest our family lived in, in Florida to us was like uh, Boca area, Boynton Beach. Mm-hmm. So maybe an hour drive, which was easy to do. Um, so I really enjoyed it. Uh, my my mom was a physical therapist assistant when I was growing up, and then she transferred over. She injured her back at work helping a patient, and she transferred over to a trauma registry. So she works at Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital down there, the trauma facility, and she does uh, the trauma registry stuff, which is super cool because she like she takes all the PCRs and stuff of the incoming units down there and like puts them into the system. So when I talk to her about like stuff we're doing up here, she's like, oh my God, I know. Like I saw this on this one or super cool to talk to her about that stuff. Um, My dad worked in retail growing up. Mm -hmm. He was like a manager for rooms to go. And then he decided to, when I was in high school, to switch over. So now he does real estate. He's a real estate agent and he absolutely loves it. And he's very, very good at his job. Um, I have one sister, she's older and she is very smart. (laughs) um she is a she got her degree in biomedical engineering actually so my family like people are like hey what do you and your sister do like my (laughs) sister is actually a biomedical engineer and i put water on things so um, you don't even do that anymore now you just drive yeah now i just drive a vehicle (laughs) yeah and pull levers um dumb firefighter yeah (laughs) so my sister and what's cool so my parents still live in south florida along with my family the rest most of my family down there. Um, but my sister lives in Orlando now, uh, which is awesome because I can see her whenever I want. So it's like an hour, hour and a half drive down there. Again, I can see her for the day. Um, but I'm, I'm ultimately happy I ended up moving up to Ocala just because I think it's, it's fairly important to get out of your, your comfort zone. So growing up in South Florida, like even if I moved out and got my own apartment, I feel like I still would have just been safe because I have I had my friends and I had my family. Um, moving up to Ocala, like I had nothing. I had no family. Um, my sister wasn't in Orlando yet, so the f- closest family I could get was four or five hour drive. Um, I had one or two buddies from fire school that I knew, and that was it. And so it was. And it was a very, very good experience for me to get out of there and come up here. Was um, it fire school that brought you here initially? Then yes. And what made you come here instead of Broward? <laughs> so I don't exactly remember what triggered it in me, but I went through EMT and medic first together um, at Broward College, and then I decided I want, 
I knew I wanted to be a firefighter also. So I was like, all right, I need to start looking into fire schools. Um, and I think I just remember somebody saying, like talking about Florida State Fire College one day and they're like, yeah, it's like the best, hardest school in, in Florida. And as soon as they said that, I was like, I think I need to go there. Like if I'm going to do something, I got to do it. So I, I looked into it and uh, I just thought the program looked awesome. Like I come up here, I live in the dorm, like you live it, you know, 12 weeks or whatever. Um, so I came up here, went through that. One of the best times of my life. I, I thoroughly enjoyed fire school. Um, and I met the, the instructors, like the guys that worked up here. I was like, man, these are dudes that I want to like work with, you know, their attitude towards stuff. So that's what brought me up here. I applied and I got the job a couple months later and picked up and left in like a week. I was gone. <laughs> now, what about you? You did it in, a, in an unusual um, kind of route because you did EMT and medic mm-hmm. first. So, you know, a lot of us did EMT. Like I went to, to Orlando, mid Florida tech at the time. So we did EMT school as part of that whole package. Then you went into fire and then I was planning on going to paramedic. If I hadn't stopped leaving departments, I would have been a medic <laughs> long before, but uh, my journey was meant to bounce all over the U S. But, um, you know, that for me was, was good because I got to be an EMT for a while and then yeah. transition out. Talk to me about the route that you took pros and cons. So, um, I got out of high school and I knew I I figured out what I wanted to do. I think um, like my my why of what I want trying to figure out my route. Um, so I went to Broward College to sign up for classes. And I, I remember I was with my mom and my sister, and the guidance counselor lady was like, "So what classes can I put you in this semester? Like, what would you like me to put you in?" And I was like, "Sign me up for EMT." And my mom and my sister are like, what the heck? Like, hang on a second. Like, let's talk about, like, figure, what about some other classes? I was like, nope, I'm done. Sign me up for EMT. That's all I want to do. I don't, that's it. And uh, she signed me up, and it was the best decision ever. And I went in, I loved it, and I realized uh, a lot of the departments in South Florida, you, you don't get hired as quickly if you don't have paramedic. And I was young. I was lucky enough to live at home. I was still working and taking classes and whatnot, but... I had accessibility better than to go through medical school. So I just carried it on and, and went straight through that. Um, like I said, I was just lucky enough to be able to do both, like back to back. And it, I, I think it worked out good for me because I got it out of the way kind of thing. Yeah. But there's definitely something to be said about having on the job experience as an EMT before going to medical school, for sure. Especially like seeing the guys I work with now and like students that I teach, you can definitely tell a medic student that's been on the job as an EMT uh, apart from somebody that hasn't been on the job as an EMT. So um, there's, there was pros and cons to, to go on that route, but yeah. that was, that was why I made the decision. It's funny you said about the medic thing too, because when I graduated fire EMT, um, which, you know, I wasn't a medic, <clears throat> our instructors were great. But when I told them I was moving down South, cause my son's mother wanted to go down to Miami, um, they, their words were basically, you'll never get hired unless mm-hmm. you're a paramedic and you speak Spanish. Yep. I don't so speak Spanish. Three months later, I was hired with Hialeah, the most Spanish speaking place That's in crazy. the entire South Florida. Um, as a minority, probably, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you can never listen to the naysayers, you know, and these yeah. were good guys, but they just got stuck in that broken record of you can't yeah. because, you know, yeah. it was the same thing at Hialeah. End up getting hired in California. Oh, you'll never get hired over there few months later you know bye yeah <laughs> so you know never ever be put off by you know being told you can't do something yeah, and same even sure. with fight with, with the mt and medic is it going to be different yeah is it the wrong route absolutely not it's just mm-hmm. a different route 
Yeah. So you said about the why. What? When did you have that aha moment that the fire service and EMS was the route you were going to take? I don't exactly know when it was, but thinking back to like earlier in my like life, I don't know, like as a kid, um, I can see it better, if that makes any sense. So uh, my mom has type one diabetes. She's had it since she was like a teenager, like her whole life. And she manages it, especially working on this job, she manages it better than anyone I've ever run on. Um, but when me and my sister were little, my dad would work like pretty late hours and my mom would often like take her insulin and then she'd forget to eat. She'd get caught up because me and my sister were, you know, being brats or something. We didn't want to do this or do that, whatever. Um, and her sugar would drop and she'd start acting all weird, you know, and she'd throw up sometimes, start doing crazy stuff. And my sister's three years older than me, um, but we're, we're pretty young. And so we knew how to like call 911. We knew our address to give them. We knew like the steps to take. We knew how to give her her, her uh, glucose. Like we knew all the steps to do, but it was like scary to see, right? So I, it, would, it would make me very scared. I remember like crying a few times as a kid. And, but then I, I distinctly remember like standing in like the living room and like watching these paramedics, these two paramedics walk in and like take over calm me and my sister down they took care of my mom and and made they made her better that's all i remember seeing and like the comfort that they could give me like in helping my mom i was like man that's that's something incredible so i i remember like thinking that and then it kind of led me in that route and that's just been my why through it and like that that's what i try to do on calls uh it gets away from me sometimes just because of call volume and the way you get treated sometimes but I always try and think back to it like I got into this to help people and to to make people feel the way that they made me feel like safe and that they they were helping um so I I try to do that as well and especially diabetic calls really hit home so I, I try and like talk to the kids and stuff when I go on those especially yeah, that's so so important here. I talked about that in in the book. I saw that in in Hialeah, funny enough, and this is one story where complete compassion fatigue. These people have forgotten this particular crew have forgotten that this was a human being, and there was police officers on scene too, and they treated them appallingly for potentially what could have been going on medically with that person. And that's a, a huge wake up. You know, if you are getting burnt out, if you are screaming at patients, or you just don't have any am- empathy anymore, it's time to maybe go to training for a bit. Maybe take some extra days off. You know, because I talk about this, whether it's self compassion or compassion for others, it's kindness and compassion that takes us into this field. If you're deep in this field and you've lost that, that's the very why that you had at the front door. So that's a you know huge red flag that you need to address something. Oh yeah, that's a like. You, you can't help it. Like, I'm not going to pretend like I'm any better than somebody else out there that's always happy and doing doing the right thing all the time. Like, it definitely, like, you're on your 16th call of the shift on the on a stub toe. Like, it's hard to stay focused on it, you mm-hmm. know? Absolutely. And, like, I definitely try and catch myself because I know I do it. I know I, I've uh, lost, I'll lose it every so often, the, the compassion towards people, but... When I do, I, I try and catch myself or I have some buddies that will uh, catch it for me. <laughs> yeah. tell me, hey, get your, get your shit together. Yeah, well, good. And that's the thing, too. I think <laughs> in a crew, usually there's always one person who's having a good day, uh-huh. you know, that you can kind of reel you in. <laughs> yeah, but it's a real thing. And, you know, I've talked about this so much. The job is set 
sets us up for failure. It's not the intent, but it's how we've devolved, you know, and we are overworked. We are, you know, underslept. And the way that we allow 911 to be abused um, does, oh, yeah. you know, I mean, you'll go on a freaking PD, you know, fatality. And then the next thing is, yeah, the three day old tummy ache at yep. three in the morning and you just want to choke the person. And there's times I've been in the back of the rescue where I feel I'm clearly more ill than the person I've run on. And I'm, you know, not don't want to go home because otherwise someone's going to get mandatory. So I'm just sucking it up. But, you know, yeah, so it is it's it's a real thing. But I think that really speaks for the rest and recovery that we need in the fire service. And you talked about Boca 2472. I talk about it all the time. I, know, I was you know? just talking about that yesterday. Yeah, actually. that should be an industry standard. I mean, I've spoken to people, um, you know from there and they're like well it's, it's hard to gauge one of my friends mark casper worked there for a while i don't know if he's still there or not but um he was at orange county before with me and so we were 24 48 no kelly days you know Oof. so it was a huge change for him but uh yeah i mean we're not you're not gonna have well-rested kind compassionate responders if you just work them into the ground yeah and even like we i've talked to some people about this like so i'm at station one and we have we have three trucks that get toned out over our loudspeaker so even if like if I'm on rescue one, I'm running nonstop calls every third day, running all night, and one day I get a a break. <laughs> air quotes. I guess people can't <laughs> see my air quotes, but a break, and I'm on engine one or tower one. Um, they don't run any calls after midnight, but because we have the overhead speakers, like you're gonna they're, you're gonna wake up to the six calls after midnight that rescue one gets anyways. So you're still not getting that like recovery sleep that the air quotes, break is supposed to give you. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a little card in your wallet that you just push against the machine and it takes money from your account when you go to Publix? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Do you have a, can you video chat your significant other, you know, on your mm -hmm. phone? So why the hell can we not figure out tones that actually just wake up the crew that's supposed to be going? Yep. And you so I've, I've had this discussion. So they built two of our stations and uh, they have, we have our own bunk rooms, right? They, the, they went away with it for this last station. I'm not sure the logistics part of it, obviously, but they, we have separate rooms. So my thought process is why, if we have separate rooms, can't I just push a button that says rescue one and they'll only tone my room out for a call? You can because my right? second fire department, which was 2005, I was there, already had that system in their department. So we're, you know, oh, we're wow. talking 16 yeah. years ago. So yes. So that's something I've, I've talked to some people about that. I think that would be a, something to at least look into for our health mm -hmm. and giving people air quotes once again breaks yeah. would be nice but yeah i mean and the other thing i think is the i've seen bcs that have the radios on the whole time like you're not that important <laughs> you you're in charge of a bunch of grown-ups who they'll let you know when they need you you know yeah so turn your freaking radio off get some sleep <laughs> So that if there is a, you know, a significant event where yeah. they need a BC, You're ready. you can get toned out. Yep. You know, it's insane. So, um, well, going back to your kind of school age as well, what about sports, athletics? What were you doing? So when, um, I guess, okay, let me start at the beginning of it, I guess. So when I was younger, my parents put me into Taekwondo. I did that too. I, I figured, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I, I must have been seven I was young. I remember being in elementary school. So whatever age that was. Um, I got put in and I, I moved up. I enjoyed it. I did it for maybe seven or eight years. And I feel like that is 
the best thing my parents could have done for me. And I'm so grateful that they did it because that really set a foundation for me and the, the person I am today. Um, it set discipline. I would I was on the what they called the competition team. So I would wake up as a eight-year-old or however old I was, I'd wake up on Saturdays at like six in the morning and I'd go to the Taekwondo studio and we would have hours long training days. We'd run miles, we'd come back to push-ups, then we would train and and it just really set um it set it set me up for success, I feel like, in life with that. Um I learned competition wise, like how to be one, a team player, two, how to lose, how to lose respectfully. Um I just learned so many uh so many things from it that I didn't realize until I got a little older, I think. And I'm I'm so thankful for it. For sure. Um so that was when I was younger. In middle school I played softball, basketball, volleyball, anything I could any team I could get on I did because I was bored all the time. Um but I was also in band. That was like my thing. Which instrument? I was a percussionist. So anything I could bang on. Hit with a stick. Anything. <laughs> um definitely timpani was my thing though. That was my favorite drum, the big kettle drums. Okay, yeah. Um I went out of high school and I had a I wasn't like a, a stellar athlete by any means, but I had to I had to choose whether I was going to be in band or I was going to try out for a a sport. So I stayed in band and I was in like the orchestra band and I was in marching band, I was in drumline and I loved it so much. I I loved band. Um but that that's I ended up with that. I didn't play any more sports in high school. I just stuck to that and good decision. Beautiful. With the taekwondo, do you remember if it was ITF or WTF? Oof. Did you wear the hogu, the body pads, or did you have the feet pads? Could you punch to the face, do you remember? You could kick to the face above a certain age group. Okay. So it might be WTF because I fought both styles. I was older when I got into it than okay. you were. But. So that's when I was younger, you couldn't. But I remember passing a certain age group and then getting smacked in the head. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this has really up. changed it. <laughs> yeah. But then but this, it's funny how the martial arts and also wrestling. Oh, that's my. Uh, that wasn't a fart. That was my puppy. Um, <laughs> maybe it was her fart. I don't know. Um, the, it's just it's so good for forging discipline like you said i think yeah. what's cool about the martial arts is you are part of a team and i fought for teams but when you're on the mat it's just you so it's that team and that individual combined which i think is really important so it's funny you say that so i used to like i said i was on the competition what they called the competition team and we would travel so there was your state competitions which was florida obviously and then they had what they called junior olympics which was the competitors from around this from all the states that meddled would go to junior olympics at whatever state was holding it and they would compete for the junior olympics title and uh i was doing a state competition and me and my best friend at the time in taekwondo were in the same age same weight group and everything same belt and we ended up having to f spar for first place and so they ended up once again we were young and they gave us the option they were like okay so you can either not spar and take the tie basically or you guys can spar but you won't get your coaches on the ends you're just going to spar and and see what happens and i remember like like you said we're on the same team but now we're individuals on the mat and uh that was a super interesting uh situation to be put in like as a, as a kid you know mm -hmm. but we ended up we both talked and we agreed we we sparred we just did our our best and what we could do now that, that was a cool experience 
Well, everyone's obviously wondering who won now. I won. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was, a, it was a very cool experience. We were mutually happy for each other. Like, it, it, it was cool to see, like, now, being older, how young we were and how, how uh, I don't know, the adult-like we acted towards mature. each other. I get, mature. Mm-hmm. Wow. 48. I just got off of 48. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, trust me. I can relate completely. Brilliant. Well, I want to kind of walk you through into the fire service itself. But before we do, so many of us are drawn to this profession. Um, I think subconsciously, uh, there's just so many stories I hear over and over again of trauma earlier in life. Um, that I think dictates whether you, you know, process it and your resilience in the job, whether it's something that you lock away and becomes an issue later after the sleep deprivation and, you know, what we see. When you look back, are there any elements of that in your childhood? No, I, I can't even think hard about it because I, I, I grew up, I was happy. My family was great. My family's super close. I, I can't think of anything. So, I think I had a pet die a couple times, but that's about it. Yeah, which which sucks. <laughs> but so conversely then, because I mean, that's the case with some people. And I think mm-hmm. that's the point is if you've got a good foundation, we need to talk about what was good about it, what what heals. And I think I've had the same. Like I had some some traumas. I was in a house fire. We had a wall almost kill us. My parents got divorced. Um, but we were on a farm. We this, were at this big table now. That's what dinner was like every mm-hmm. night. We'd sit around, we'd talk. Um, so there were so many positive things that I think it offset, you know, yeah, the stuff sure. that happened to us. Um, when you look back then, so t- tell me, you know, what was good about your family dynamic? It's hard that I can't spit it off right away, but I just remember like anything we could, we could want, we, we had as for, like we, me and my sister didn't ask for like anything crazy. Like we didn't ask for just anything we saw. And if it was something crazy, my parents would tell us no. Like we had, we definitely had boundaries. We didn't just get given things. Um, but anything we needed, we had. Um, my my parents were fantastic at providing for us. Even when I remember, like I said, my dad um, switched professions when I was in high school and things got pretty rough financially. My sister was away at college. So there was loans taken out for that. She was at FSU. So not cheap. Exactly. <laughs> um, I was in high school. So I, I, worked maybe 30 hours a week while I was in high school still and I helped pay for things and do things um and that isn't even a bad thing to me because once again just set me up for a better successful adult life um I can't I feel like I had a great family dynamic I can't think of anything anything bad about it well good I mean I think as that's crazy it. as that, I don't know. No, but it's not crazy. I mean, you know, ideally there's a solid, you know, family bond. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that is kind of the gold standard, you know. And there have been many yeah. people on this show that have had that. They had a great childhood. But um, it's always good to open the door because I'm amazed how many people have significant trauma. And my yes. thing to the people that are doing well is then we're the strong shoulder for people to lean on you know we're the ones that reach out to people that are hurting and and tell you know like you know you played sports you had a a close family you know there's all these things that are very very healing that even if you didn't have it when you were younger you can apply to your life now yes yeah i was very lucky i'm I'm, I'm happy about it for sure (laughs) brilliant all right well then moving into the fire service then so you had this background of, you know, being an athlete until you discovered drums. Um, yeah. So what was the, the physical side of the fire academy for you? What was it like? 
So at so when I started fire school, I know nobody can see me right now, but I have short hair. Uh, when I started fire school, I had this long, thick, blonde, wavy hair. Um, I remember starting it, and the first like three days, I remember doing like PT, and they were like, "What's this chick doing?" You know, like I got this long hair, like whatever. And I sh- showed up, and I put in work, and they were like, "Oh man, like she's she's here to fucking work." And then uh, I. I think it was the third day of fire school. We had to do like bunker gear, like throw on mm-hmm. bunker gear and stuff as fast as you can. And the SCBA masking and everything. And I was doing it and my hair kept getting stuck in things and it kept sticking out. And, and I got so frustrated. I went that night and I got my hair cut off. I went the next day. I got, I got tri- shaved off all of it. Like shave, shave? Just like <laughs> I had to take it off. Um, but the, the physical side of it was Awesome. I mean, I, I, once again, I enjoyed it. I was uh, maybe all of 130 pounds when I was in there, so I was not big by any means. I wasn't very strong by any means, so there was definitely things I struggled on, like uh, they had us fight in a car fire with like a deuce and a half, and it was me and my roommate, and she she's stronger than me, she's bigger than me too, so like between the two of us, we moved this thing, but it definitely, you could tell it took us a little bit more than some of the other bigger dudes, obviously, and like, I think I had trouble like with the hose clamp because I just couldn't, I was like standing on it and it wouldn't move down. Yes, that's definitely a body weight evolution. <laughs> yeah. You um, gotta be careful not to get a lever in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but the the physical, the burns, the searches, I loved it. And I, I on my from my viewpoint of it, I felt like I did well, pulled my own, I, I pushed through it. I loved it can't complain yeah no but i think that's it you know i mean there's there's a lot of the very very big firefighters that are big and strong that mm-hmm. you know if you've got to climb 10 stories with all your gear they're mm-hmm. probably going to be at the back yep. you know and then yeah i mean i'll be honest i've never used a two and a half on a fire like <laughs> you, you know with, like move with, yeah and a yeah. real one i mean we do a keely coil and yep, you know just exactly. sit on it you know so um doesn't mean it's not applicable but yeah. usually if you've got that kind of water you know you're not going in and searching you know you're sitting back and you know surrounded drank kind of thing but yeah i mean it's you know horses for courses i think one of the i forget who it was now but someone was on here recently was talking about diversity and they're like that's what diversity in the fire service yep. should be you know if you got someone smaller and you need to put them into an elevator shaft to make a rescue perfect maybe nicole's the person who needs to be in the harness you know i say this all the time one of my one of my best friends he was we were on rescue one together for a while and he uh he's a big dude He's big and he's very strong. Um, but we used to always say, we're like, everybody has their strengths and their weaknesses. And as long as our crew knows who's wh- who's got what, we can make this work. I'm small, I'm fast, I can fit through things. And he can move walls out of my way because he is he's strong as hell. So as long as you know your strengths and weaknesses, I think that's, that's what makes a crew. You, if everybody on the crew is just strong, they can't fit through a hole as fast or they can't move as fast or they don't have air consumption like you need like all of that to make the team work you know absolutely now what was first was it i don't think it was a 343 was was it the first time that we met when you came to the tactical strength and conditioning class i I think so because i i got it from uh chris hickman okay told our got our department and was like hey you guys should try this class out (laughs) so i didn't have a huge amount even the class i do now i mean Mm -hmm. I've, i've been vocal about it like I have next to no local first responders that aren't already a member of the gym, which I find oh, very yeah. disheartening because, you know, it's it's been put out there. But 
you know, that that was a well-attended class. We had a few. So what was it that made you come to that where obviously a lot of people heard about it and didn't? And I don't mean to take that personally, but I'm just, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's great that you showed up as a young firefighter. So uh, Chris put it out. I don't remember how. I can't remember if it was like email or he like texted some people. I'm not, I can't remember. But I remember hearing about it and a buddy that I was living with at the time, I was like, hey man, I think we were getting off shift that morning. And I was like, hey, let's just, let's go. Like we have nothing better. Like we have nothing planned that we can't just be like, we have to go to like, let's go check this class out. And it sounded cool. Cause he, I can't remember how he sold it, but he was explaining you and what you do and what the class was about. And it, you still call it um, unfuck yourself? I used to. You, okay. I changed it now. So, it so it kind of got revamped. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember that. I was like, man, this is a cool concept. Because, I mean, I, I enjoy working out. I try to work out. And I try to learn about working out. So I do the right thing, obviously. But I don't actually, I don't really know what I'm doing. So I remember hearing about it and the way he sold it. And then sold you also. It's like, let's go check this thing out. And it, it ended up, it was a great class. And I even came back on the Wednesdays. I think you had like Wednesday evenings. It was Wednesdays, evenings. yep, that's right. I came back on Wednesday evenings for some of them too. I, it was a good class, I liked it. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, it's impressive because again, when, when you know, you're a young firefighter and you keep, you know, like you see these guys, um, you know, that go into medic school straight away or, or start, you know, training for smoke diver or whatever it is. That's when you're your most fired up. That's when you're your most rested. You haven't been beaten down by the job yet. So, you know, it was really good to to see the people that did come, you mm-hmm. know. And then obviously we've got a lot of people that are, well, we see a decline at about 10 years that I really want to see come, you know. Yeah. Um, so we met there. So then 343. So talk, yeah. talk to me about that experience. Tell, tell everyone what it is and your own personal experience of that. So that was actually super fun. I enjoyed doing it. And I we I think we got, were scheduled to go the year after and then it got moved. Or what, I think that was when the hurricane it was, hit, wasn't it? It was. So it got moved. Yes. Yeah. yeah so it got moved and I wasn't able to go with you guys. Yeah. That's yep. right. Um, so it's a, it was a, a fundraiser f- for um, 9-11 like victims and whatnot. I believe yeah, Orange so, County put it on. Right? So it was to, to honor the 343 yeah. that were killed. And I think it was, um, where did donations go? I think it was the Firefighter Cancer Network was the it last. Went to I something think. to help, yeah. Yeah. Um, but we did the the team, the team challenge or the team uh, competition. Sorry, and uh, we did the the like integrated one, girls, boys, whoever mm-hmm. you want on the, the team, co-ed. whatever co-ed, yeah. <laughs> Um, not the greatest with words. I'm trying. <laughs> Look, it's a very American word too. I, we wouldn't recognize that word in England. Co-ed. Oh, really? No. Boys. I guess we just say boys and girls, or men and women, or yeah. whatever mixed. Um. So that's the one that we did, and it was awesome. I got to do it with you and Casey, who's awesome. Um. And it it, it was a super cool competition, and I've wanted to go back since just because the uh, uh the different like stations they had. Like I remember we did one station. It was like uh the sled the uh, Kaiser sled and it was like spinning a hydrant and climbing the ladder and like all these different like little firefighter things mm-hmm. that was super cool <clears throat> and then the box step up they had us do it in like gear with the air packs and stuff I, I thought that was super cool um, it was a fun competition for sure just to be out there with all these other firefighters that want to get after it mm-hmm. and even like civilians too I think Casey's wife did it she competed yeah, on the Shelby women's yep. women's single once again, awesome that like there was other civilians out there just getting after it, like competing and moving. Awesome. Well, when people say, you know, you hear some of the kind of naysayers, oh, the brotherhood and sisterhood is dead. 
I always tell them, go to the 343. Because mm-hmm. you want to watch. And it's just a lot of the same faces you see every year. And sadly, you know, since COVID or just before, it's been shut down. I'm hoping it's going to fire up again, but I'm not yeah. sure. Which is heartbreaking again. But um, yeah, I mean, everyone was there for a reason. I think everyone dug so deep because, mm-hmm. you know, you had the... the um, Dispatch being played from 9-11, yep. FDNY. Mm-hmm. You were surrounded by pictures, not only of them, but like Carl Andriano was the Orange County fireman we lost that was at the skill station that you're talking about. So there was no reason to do anything than give your all. Yep. And some of that, I mean, there's one guy that came every year and they'd follow him with a trash can because he would puke every <laughs> single time, every year. But I mean, kudos. And he was a civilian, actually. He was one of the CrossFit guys. I but, love it. You know, kudos. Every, you just, you can't help but dig deeper yep. than you ever have before. And everyone's cheering and it's for a good cause. It's not, you know, to be the best at working out, as they say. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wish that we could find another place to carry that on. I mean, the, the, the county guys, one of them I went through fire school with, Dave Coughlin, that, that started it. Um, just a great bunch of firefighters that totally get the fitness side. And yeah. to see that be yet another casualty of these last few years and a change of administration is heartbreaking. Yeah, for sure. It'd be nice if they started it back up, definitely. Definitely. And like you were saying, like you would go and you'd see the same faces. I feel like that's a... a, a a recurring thing in a lot of conferences or, or competitions that we go to as firefighters, you mm-hmm. tend to see the same faces, which is a good thing. They keep coming back, they keep doing stuff. But if we could get like each person, that whole thing, if you if everybody brings one person back, we can double our size. And if they bring that whole thing, that that'd be pretty cool to see too. Like watch it grow with like new faces and get more people involved. So you joined, you did the the unfuck yourself class you came with me to 343 so obviously you know you you understand the importance of of fitness and what we do with your perspective as a younger firefighter you know what are you seeing as some of the challenges of getting a lot of our peers back into the gym the challenges of it um i think it's kind of like what we hit on earlier like the the sleep deprivation like how we're getting dug into the ground with these calls and and all this stuff and then there's so much more busy work now too like so you run the call and so like I work for Ocala we don't we don't transport luckily enough and we get on scene um if we don't ride in you're on scene you drive there you get on scene you do your thing you leave it's maybe a 20 30 minute call well then you get back to the station and you have to write your reports so you're sitting there for that and then you get another call. Then you come back and you write your reports and you get another call. And then you're doing this all day and you got to clean the station. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do target solutions. You have to do your, if you're taking classes, you have to worry about your, like there's so so many things pulling you in different directions. Well, guess what? Now it's workout time. And you're like, man, I'm exhausted already. Um, and then if they're on a 48 or whatever, they're up all night. Some of our guys have new babies at home. They're exhausted when they come to work, let alone when they leave. So there's there's a challenge just with um, like I said the call volume and then the what I want to call busy work at the station. I feel like we get given tasks that shouldn't be ours. Sometimes um, our focus should definitely be on doing our job well, training to do our job well, and then working out. Like it should be focused on our job goals, not hey I need you to go run this errand real quick. Like that's that's not what we're made for, you know. Um, I think some other challenges is that some people don't feel comfortable working out. 
like I know this job is physical, so they have to. They're they're in somewhat. They're in a shape to do it. <laughs> um, but some people don't feel comfortable working out because one, they might not know what to do for a workout. Or if you got some guys in the gym, like you might have some big muscle dude in the in the gym at the station working out, and you go out there to work out, and they're picking on you or something. I know some people don't enjoy that, so they're gonna leave. Uh, there's there's definitely some challenges there, but. I don't know. I try. I try to work around them with with my guys at least. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was the thing. I don't know if you found this when we did the class, but with CrossFit, which is you know inside the gym where I where I do mine, um, you know we're doing a lot of barbell, Olympic movements, and gymnastics, and rings, and all these things. And absolutely, that is intimidating. That's intimidating for an athlete, no oh, matter yeah. someone who is deconditioned. But what I found, I know you guys have this equipment in some of the stations. Um, the sandbags, the sleds, getting people to realize that there's no humiliation attached to that. Like, what have I got to do? And I had this even in my last place, a lot of deconditioned people in that particular department, a lot of people that were very scared. Um, and when I put it together, there was like this light bulb went off and they started having fun because you, what do I do? You just push that sled over there and then grab these handles and then pull it back. Oh, okay. And this is, let me explain even more. When you push it, it's like advancing a charged hose line. When you pull it, it's like dragging your partner out. I do remember you oh. saying that. You know, so now you remove that fear and it doesn't matter then if, you know, Jennifer has six plates and Steve only has two. It doesn't matter. You're doing the same work. You're getting just as tired as each other and you're side by side and maybe you have a little race out of it, you know? So I think that's the thing as well. When you have sensible exercise selection, um, that allows people to all get involved and it somewhat mimics what we do in the fire ground, that's where you eliminate a lot of that fear because no one wants to look stupid and I totally oh, get for it. Sure. But if the fear of looking stupid is making you more and more likely to die on the fire ground or at home, then you have to get over that. So create an environment that are, I mean, people laugh at the word safe space, but it's true. You want to create an environment someone's comfortable to drop their guard a little bit and, you know, get outside the comfort zone. Yeah, for sure. I was just having this conversation with someone actually, cause I wanted to do a, I, I realized a couple weeks ago, I was like, man, I'm, I, I can throw a ladder. I've learned how, but I don't train on that a lot. I get in gear and I do gear workouts or I do like RIT training and I do all this other stuff. And I was like, man, I, I've been on rescue for so long. It's like, I haven't touched the ladder in, in a while. Like I'm not super comfortable with it. I feel like I look kind of silly doing it. So I, one day I told, I was with my probie at my station. I was like, hey man, like I'm going to train. I'm going to throw some ladders. And he came out with me and we just spent that time. Like, I'm sure I looked silly in front of him trying to throw this ladder, but we did it for maybe an hour. And by the end of it, like, I know I looked better doing it. I was comfortable. Um, and so I recently got my crew out there to do it too. Cause like you were just saying, we're all so comfortable doing it like this very safe way that we know we can't mess up. We can't drop and we can't look dumb, but is that effective when you're trying to ladder that window in the next 30 seconds? It's not, you physically can't do it that fast. You need to be able to spike a ladder, throw the ladder and get it up there. So we, we all got out there and we got uncomfortable and we, we threw ladders for like an hour or two and everybody seemed good after that. They loved it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I was, that was weird for me. So in, you know, in the academy back in what, 03, 04, 
we had the, you know, you, I think it was like suitcase carry the ladder mm-hmm. up against the wall and you lay it flat and then you walk the rungs up. Yep. Then you stand sideways, which now looking back is such a ridiculous way of doing it. I don't know who the hell came up with that. And then I went to California and they were like, this is how we throw ladders. And it was, I was so behind the curve. Everyone else was California trained firefighter. And so they're shouldering it. And so I literally had to learn from scratch and, you know, try and catch up to these people that did it through the whole academy. But when you look at it, you're like, it makes so much sense. The way that we were taught in the academy, when do you ever go in a building where there's no obstructions, no hedges, cars, you know, whatever? Never. So how the hell are you going to use that method in most structure fires? You're not. So people end up trying to kind of pseudo make it up rather than gaining the technique and the strength to, to spike it. Well, you can do go down an alleyway and put a ladder up. It's amazing. And then reposition. Yep. And this whole flipping it. They didn't do that in California. Just get the ladders to the window and get in. You know? Oh, well, you know, this booklet says it doesn't matter. It's rated to hold. Don't put 12 people on there, <laughs> but put a person up there. If you're going to do a rescue and put a couple. But yeah, just when you, when you challenge the way you've been taught and look around and find a better way of doing it, that was it for me. Like, I, I, shoulder ladder and stick it to this day because california just did it better than we were taught yeah i love it and that was when we were out there i was like hey if any and we even had a medic student and i was like hey if anybody has any input in this like i'm straight up like i don't listen i don't know everything about this stuff i'm here to learn just as much as you guys i just figured i'd try and get us all out here to do it if anybody has anything to say say it and and it opened up like a great conversation for us because i would talk about one thing and then um one of my guys on on rescue he he brought up another thing and we learned from him and then even the student that was there was like hey well when i at my station i've done it this way and we we learned from all these different people that just created an open conversation about it not just i'm going to teach you what i want to teach you mm-hmm. and we're going to leave way. it at that yeah yeah we were like try it this way try it that way and we all found the way that fits us best now our whole crew can throw a ladder in 40 seconds mm-hmm. win-win i think absolutely and you know different body types are different as well like your mm-hmm. giant partner can probably just muscle the damn thing i'm six foot tall but i'm only 170 (laughs) pounds i need that Mm -hmm. biomechanics to help me out you know you're you know shorter than i am so it's a different thing too for sure so yeah i mean you know you got to find your own way well speaking of training and challenging yourself tell people that listening about the florida smoke diver program when did you learn about it and then walk me through your preparation and then and then we'll get into the actual program itself. So I'm actually terrible at explaining this class. People always ask me and I I can never figure out how to put it into words. Um, I remember hearing about it. I was on a ride at the fire college when I was in fire school and I heard one of the guys talking about paperwork for the smoke diver program. And I was like, that's super crazy that this guy's gonna fill out this whole packet for a class. Like it didn't make sense to me. And then the class went on right after I graduated, I think. Um, there's quite a few Jews at Ocala that have been through it. So I, I heard them talking about it. A couple of my buddies were training for it for a few years and I got like, I trained with them. So I got kind of a taste of what it was like and what they were going into. And you said a few years. Yes. That illustrates yes. the level of preparation. Yeah. Well, they, they, they went a couple times, um, failed out, went back, kept, kept getting after them. These dudes are awesome dudes um but they let they let me train with them and do stuff with them so it's cool because i got an insight to like what what was put into it i didn't do as much as them but i'd go and work out with them and whatnot um so i got a taste of it and i remember training with them one year and i was like i 
me and a buddy, I was like, I'm not going to do it. I know one, I know I'm not prepared. I'm not going to waste the money. And thinking back, I think I was just making excuses because I didn't want to train for it. You know, so I was just like, I'm not ready. I don't want to spend the money. But it was definitely it was an excuse. I could have prepared and done it. Um, But then those guys passed. And I remember we went to a fire east for a competition like the next week. And they were talking about it and all this stuff about it. And I was like, man, like the, the joy that these guys have right now from passing this class, I was like, I have to f- find this. Like I, I need to go do this now. And that year, like at that competition, I decided I was gonna do it. That was like the second week of January. And the next week I started training. And, and by training, cause this is the big thing about it, like you should always be prepared to take, to do the class that it's our job Mm -hmm. to be prepared for it. So I felt like I was training, but it was really just um, maintaining, if that makes sense. So I was maintaining what I had. I was maintaining my gear, um, my heat and gear, my my time and gear, the workouts I was doing, I was maintaining my strength and and everything. And then the the, uh, training definitely got more intense the last few months out, just because you're preparing your body for something so long and so uh, intense, um, but the, the training was was very difficult. That was harder, I think, harder than the class for me personally. Uh, Which is the way it should be. Yeah, and, and it it worked out great because then the class was more so enjoyable. I felt like I could take something away from it other than just like, oh my god, this is terrible the whole time. So now, how yeah. did you? overcome the heat and gear because i mean this is partly because i've got older um you know and sadly the last five years of my career were in a department that didn't want to train so a lot of the training i did was literally on my own mm-hmm. <laughs> like no one else was interested in joining me um and uh but i found as i got older the the heat acclimatization in the bunker gear it just came harder and harder to me which oh, yeah. is what you know blows my mind with some of the people like chad that you know do do smoke Crazy. divers later in their career um because i think there's no better time i was talking to is it dustin one of the young guys that went through i forgot that name right i, I might i might got the name wrong but anyway i think he came almost right out of the academy and mm-hmm. there's no better time to me to do smoke divers than when you've just spent six yeah. months in gear um but yeah that so that was one of the chance i never really got tired on a fire but you know in in these evolutions and training it was it was the heat even like um murph when i do murph mm-hmm. in gear it's not my arms and legs that have given up it's like i'm literally feeling my kidneys and liver boiling in my body <laughs> so did you did you find any anything that helped or was it you know um no so we didn't we don't do a whole lot of uh burns with my department n- nor are they that hot you know like if you do a training burn you're not doing it to burn someone out you're doing it to learn something so it wasn't always that hot so i didn't get to get in a whole lot of fires that was like oh I, i'm gonna sit in here and get acclimated and get my body used to it i didn't have that so I would just get in my gear when it was 90 degrees outside, 98 degrees outside, whatever it was. And I would do whatever work that I was doing. I would just try and do it in the sun. So if my body could withstand that for an hour, I was hoping it could withstand the, the burn building for 15 minutes. Yeah. Well, because I mean, the heat from the fire I never had an issue with, apart from my eyes just drying out from that, you know, infrared rays that you get through your mask but it was the exertion it was Mm -hmm. just you know when you 
get to a certain physical level, it can be zero fire. It can be going up high rise, you know, like the one of the evolutions that you guys do. There's a certain point where you just feel like you're, you know, overheating. And that that was the one thing that I always struggle with. So it was more so like the the length of it. You're asking like Yeah, just as so, you, as yeah. as an athlete, as you work harder and your body temperature goes up, not be able to offset, you know, oh, off, yeah. you know, get rid of that heat because of the bunker gear. I could sit and, you know, burn building all that stuff. Not but you know, no problem. It was hot as hell, yeah. but that wasn't the issue. It was the heat from the exertion. <laughs> I not gotcha. be able to cool the actual body from work. Yeah. I would just I like I would just get in gear and do it. I'd do a workout for an hour, hour and a half, and if I felt tired at the hour mark, I would if I felt like I was gonna like pass out or something, I would take like one piece of gear off. Yeah. If I needed to. But when I felt tired, I would maybe get out of gear and I would do something else. Like but I would keep going. Like when I felt that I was tired was the time that I okay, let me go do this skill. Mm-hmm. Because if you stop every time you're tired, your brain, it's gonna, your time's gonna get shorter and shorter and shorter because your brain's gonna be like, oh, I'm tired, let's stop. And it's gonna get used to that. So every time I got, <clears throat> I felt hot, I would just take a minute. If I got tired, I would, I'd take a second and I'd get my shit together and start moving again. Like I just had to push through. If, if it got scary, I made sure I had my partner out there with me, but mm-hmm. <laughs> the key buddy, just keep an eye out. Yeah. Well, I think the do- the doffing part of your gear, I mean, that's why I did it. I think two Murphs ago, I just had my gear on. Um, and that was it. I mean, we finished Murph, but I, I think I was either my jacket or maybe everything, but still had the vest on, but you know, mm-hmm. so you still kept going. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, f- I don't know if, you know, my physiology has changed, but recently, like when I hit that wall, like I can't leave that. I mean, I could. I could stand in front of a fan for ten minutes and finally get there, or like you said, just strip, keep working, but you're just technically not in gear anymore. Yeah. I'm a big advocate for that. Like if if you set out to finish a workout, whatever it takes to finish that workout. If you're in socks and underwear, finish the workout because your brain. If you, I'm gonna finish this whole workout, and you make it halfway through, and you're like, man, this is hard. I'm gonna, I'm done. Like that's gonna be every workout. Your brain's not gonna be able to move on from that. You know, your body gets used to it. If you're planning on doing 22 stairs and every time you do it, you do 11 and you get tired and you stop, your body's going to hit 11 and it's going to stop on its own. So if I'm, I'm a huge advocate of as long as I finish this workout, I'll strip one thing after another until I finish if I have to. Right. So then moving on to smoke dive, because it sounds like obviously mindset is a big thing as well for you. In that environment, you're not able to take a piece of gear off. You know that this, this is now <laughs> in a place where you'd fail. Um and it's, it's interesting because when I look at, I mean, I went through some crucibles that Hialeah's Academy was brutal. I mean, you know, Anaheim's Academy was, was rough in a different way, but, but Hialeah was almost like a three month smoke dive or two month smoke dive. The last one was kind of EMS. But, um, I mean, they brutalized us while these civilians went through fire school. So we definitely had a taste of it, but there, the why was you're keeping your job. You know, the mm-hmm. why in, in, you know, buds and the seals is you ring the bell, you don't get to be a seal. So it's a little harder once you've already got the job to, to keep pushing yep. yourself there. So, you know, talk to me about, you don't have to tell everyone what is entailed because I know that's still somewhat close <laughs> to the chest, but, you know, what was it physically and mentally that got you through when so many people didn't pass your class? Um, so I guess I, I forgot to answer your question from before explaining the class, which I'll, I'll oh, try yeah, real quick. Um, so it's a, a, a week long, so it's six days. The first day is the entrance exam still. But it's six days, and it's a it's a firefighter survival class, pretty much. Um, you learn a lot of RIT. You learn a lot of self-survival. 
And for me personally, what I felt like I got the most out of it was I learned about myself, like what I can do, what my body can do, um, past the point of, of you think you're done, you know? Um, there's a gut checks in the class, definitely. Um, there's, there's burns obviously and, and firefighter skills and whatnot. Um, but you basically just learn how to do those things you learned in fire school, but um, more intensely. You learn how to do them um, when you're you're in that gray area, f- fading into the black kind of. Um, it, like I said, it, it definitely taught me more about myself than anything else. Um, what was it, the? What do you want me to talk about now? No, no, <laughs> no. So no, so that that was brilliant. So with that. The attrition rate is huge. So in the Florida State Smoke Diver Program, you know, you'll have, you know, whatever, 40 people apply. And then I see, I actually got to visit Mm -hmm. visit the class a couple of times. Um, But, you know, you'll see like two, three, four people finally graduating at the end. So the, the attrition rate is huge. You were one of the people that graduated. So what mental and physical attributes carried you through where were some of the moments where you almost tapped out but didn't you know talk to me about that because you know it is checking boxes but you are the first woman that's at this place of the second wave of of this uh um you know this this chapter of Mm -hmm. um the smoke diver program so you know i think your insight would be invaluable um my where i was mentally to pass even when like i like there was I off the top of my head, there was two times in the class where I was like, this might be it. Like, and it wasn't, it wasn't where I was like, man, I might give up, but it was, I thought they were going to kick me out because of silly things I was doing or whatever. Um, but my, my, where I was mentally for it was I cannot fail this class. And it was, it was that simple. It was, I will not go home without this patch. Not a chance because I, I trained for the last year. I put my girlfriend through hell waiting for me and dealing with my attitude and how like upset I was all the time because I wasn't eating or I was tired or whatever. Put her through all that. I put myself through hell. I was not leaving this class without a patch. And that was what drove me through it. That's all I needed. It was my own self pushing me. Like that was it. Um, I can't think of any... and. There, there's definitely times where, you, like, because me or my buddies were talking about it when we were there. Like, I remember times when we're like, "What? Why are we doing this? What are, what are we doing here? Why? Are, like, we don't get a raise for this. What are we getting from this?" But once again, like, all of us are on the same page. Like, I don't know. We said we were gonna do it, and we're here, so we're not leaving. That's that's the that's the base of it. So talk to me about the other side then. So that's an interesting thing. So your girlfriend is there you're on shift, you're working, now you're doing smoke divers. So, you know, we hear a lot about firefighter families, but not so much about girlfriends, boyfriends in that kind of environment. So, you know, what what role has she played in your success so far? Um, so she is also a first responder. She's a paramedic for oh. Marion County. Okay. Yep. So we, we, we're both on shift work, which is, is uh, pretty difficult from time to time because when you both get off of shift and neither of you have slept for 24 hours, the conversations are a lot more difficult to have <laughs> with each other. Um, everybody's tensions are, are very high. Uh, but with her doing that, like we can understand each other better with certain things. Um, 
but training for that class definitely put a toll on us but and obviously I put a toll on myself but that was my choosing she had to deal with it because of my choosing which sucks you know like I knew what I was getting into I knew what I was doing I don't think I explained it to her as good as I should have I was just like hey guess what I'm gonna try this thing and then she was like yeah sounds great it's a week-long class I can do that a week whatever I don't think I explained it to her that the next (laughs) eight months of our lives were going to be miserable. Um, But there was definitely like some harsh times where like, like you said, I'd get off shift or something. And instead of going home to hang out with her, um, I would go to the fire college with my buddies and we would be there for eight hours. So then I'd get home at five o'clock at night and I was exhausted. I was mentally tired. I was physically tired. And all I wanted to do was sit on the sofa eat food and then go to sleep and it definitely put a toll on us um i wasn't i stopped drinking alcohol around like june or july i think i decided that i needed to cut it out to to put everything i had into training and that not not put a toll on us but i mean when your friends want to go out drinking and i don't drink it was kind of difficult for me to like be out with them um so that that was hard for me too. Like she wanted to go out, but I didn't want to drink, so I was kind of boring. I was just there, you know, or you, I, or did, I just wouldn't go out. Did you maintain that? Do you still not drink now? So, um, I definitely drink now mm-hmm. again. Um, but training for smoke divers has changed my life after as well, which I think is an amazing thing about it. Also, like the training in and of itself, without the class, the training in and of itself has changed my the after part of the class my life of that tremendously i i when i was training i would get up at five in the morning and i would go to the station i'd work out in the morning i worked out in the afternoon i woke up on shift the next morning to work out again before i went to my next job or or whatever um i stopped drinking like i said i I was drinking pretty good before and it was definitely hindering my workouts and my training and whatnot and I've carried it over. So like I still go into work early. I still work out on shift. I still get up early on shift to work out. So I'm I'm prepared for that day. Um, it, so it, I carried over most of the stuff. I did start drinking some again. Felt like I needed, it was, it was all right though. I can still maintain it. Not as bad, not as, as much as I was before, which is good because I know I can. Stop. Yeah. 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 Well, it's interesting as well because you talked about the Taekwondo setting routines and disciplines for that life and it sounds like this experience has done the same thing for the next level yeah for sure somebody told me that too when i was training they were like at the very least this this will make you a better person better firefighter better employee whatever and i was like that okay bro i'm i'm here to pass this freaking class and then after i was like man he's right like i i have to get up in the morning and go work out like i have to do these things because my body is like telling me to do those. I'm so comfortable with it and used to it. Uh, that's another great thing I got out of it too, actually. Life, life-changing. life Now, did you meet your girlfriend after you were a firefighter? Or yes. You, okay. Yep. So she at least came in knowing that as a profession you're already in. Yeah, she came into it knowing that. And then she got into, she got hired with Marion County after we started dating. Um, but yeah, she knew this was a thing. And she, she has real picked up on my uh, personality I guess I'll call it because after that she's like oh my god like thank god this training is over right (laughs) I have my girlfriend back and then I was like so 
next I want to do this or next I want to do that. And she's like, oh my God, like <laughs> another one. <laughs> so what is next? So you just, you just promoted to engineer. Yes. And congratulations. Thank you. Um, but I think that's it. There's so much to get from this profession. I was talking to a friend of mine, Ryan, Navy SEAL, like our profession, you cannot be a master. You cannot be an expert. You can be the rope guru, the, you know, high rise guru, whatever. But for the profession, we're jack of all trades, master of none. So there's so much for us to study. So what is, what are some of the kind of benchmarks or goals that you've set for yourself in the future? Um, so definitely to promote was one. Um, and I, and I, I've said this a lot since I've gotten promoted to driver and people look at me super weird because I've always heard the engine driver is the best spot in the house. I've always heard that, right? And I'm like, ah. And they're like, you'll see when you get there. And I'm like, okay, maybe, we'll see. And I'm I'm not, an, I'm a rescue driver. We have like tears or whatever, but I drive engines a lot now. And I'm like, guys, man, I'm really not seeing it still. Um, I was even talking to the guys yesterday when we were training and I was like, so I really think us tailboards should be out here. And they like looked at me and I was like, shit, I guess I'm a fucking driver now. <laughs> I was like, nah, whatever, fuck that. Like we're, we're tailboards, like we're here to put in work, you know? Um, so I definitely had goals to move up, but it wasn't for the seats. It was for the experience. And, and I obviously want to uh, be a leader in my department. And I try to do that from the tailboard side, from the driver side, wherever I'm at, it's definitely easier. The higher you go up, you have more pull, you have more understanding of what's going on. Um, so that was a goal of mine, and I'm here now. Um, I am working on my bachelor's degree right now, which is another goal of mine. I didn't expect to go to college. I almost didn't graduate high school. So I got my AS degree when I graduated from medical school, um, which is a big step. And then I decided a year ago maybe that I was like, fuck it, it's time, I'm going back to school. And I, I signed up and I've been taking bachelor's, cl bachelor's classes since then. Um, and I'm super excited for that goal. What's your major it's in? Fire science, the generic, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, I'm definitely excited to get the four-year degree. Just, in this sounds silly, say, just say I have one. Like, once again, didn't think I was gonna ever get one. And I just think it's cool, cool to, to, to say that I did it kind of thing. Um, and it, it should help me in, in my future, like the, these little, like I'm taking like an HR class right now. I'm hoping it'll maybe help me see things differently if I move up in the department, but we'll see. Um, as far as the, the department though, goals there, like, like I said, I just want to, my, I have a bunch of like little goals that I've talked to people about, like, Hey, I want to, I would like to see this implemented in our department more, or. I hope we could do this one day or little things like that, like little tasks I'd like to see differently, like a physical standard and, and whatnot. Just little things, little things in that. Um, but yeah, just working on a four-year degree right now. That's mm -hmm. the Physical standards. Talk to me about it. Which, which, what would you like to see if you were king slash queen for a day? <laughs> um, so I brought it up to a few people in my department and uh, I I need to bring it up to the other guys still, but um, I brought up something simple, like, why can't we have a, I, I know we've tried to do it before and, and we're union, so a lot of the guys were like, you can't make me do this, you can't make me do that, you can't fire me for this, you can't fire me for that, and the union will back them, you know? Um, and I was like, well, why, why does it have to be a punishment? 
you know? Once again, if you make someone feel stupid, they're not gonna wanna do that thing you want them to do. So why does it have to be a punishment? And I was telling them my goal would just be, we'll get a, a, a group of people, right? Different demographics. We'll get a tailboard, we'll get a driver, a captain, a chief, um, and you get different like women, men, different age groups, different uh, like levels of, of training, right? Um, and you put them on a committee and you come up with this tier system of uh, you should be able to do this, these push-ups, these sit-ups, this, whatever, right? Um, and we just have people come through and do them. There's no penalty for it. And the only way, the only thing that happens from it is you get rewarded, right? So what's the worst that could happen? You get nothing, you know? Um, and I've tried to sell that kind of thing because I think people would be more open to it of, man, if I do good, I get I get this out of it, whatever it is, a vacation day, um, a $50 gift card, I don't know. Um, but nobody should be put off because it's you're not getting penalized. The only thing that com- could come out of this is you get healthier and you get better at your job. Um, I brought up like doing like little gear things. That gets a little iffy with some people, but. Well, let me ask you this. When you went to the fire academy, Florida State Fire Academy, Fire College, did you do PT? Yeah. Did you wear gear? Mm -hmm. Did you take hose up the tower? Mm -hmm. Did you throw ladders? What was the title for the certification that you got? The firefighter one? Minimum 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 standards, standards, yeah. So when you walk through the door of the fire service, the fire service told you that all this shit that you're doing is the minimum standard. And here we are arguing with administrations and unions because it's not fair that Nicole and James want you to be able to do, put gear on and take stuff upstairs. The minimum standard. That's where we're at. Mm -hmm. Now, as I'm fair and talk about all the time, yes, we have created a fire service that sets these people up for failure. But the fact that we have unions pushing back on the very physical standards that not only will make us better at what we do in affecting rescues and injury prevention, but also will foster longevity for our men and women once they retire to actually enjoy Mm -hmm. their post-service. So this is what drives me crazy. Other states, it might be different, but in the state of Florida, we labeled our fucking academy minimum standards. (laughs) It couldn't be any clearer. (laughs) So we have gone, we are so broken that we allow our unions which should be fighting for work weeks and conditions mm-hmm. rather than bickering over a 50 cents pay raise to effectively change the mental health crisis, the cancer and obesity crisis that we have in the fire service. So it drives me crazy and I don't care who I piss off. If you are afraid of putting on gear or doing PT or being held to annual standard, fucking shame on you. It's time to retire and let someone else who wants to do the job come in. We have to have a... F- the the guts to actually start pushing change and it should be punitive not absolutely not year one but we have to have some sort of on-ramp where we get our men and women that have found themselves off the course back on course mm-hmm. and amongst them if there are people that don't want to put in the work and just want to collect the check then you know fire prevention dispatch if you don't want to use your body anymore there are other lateral places you can go, but you have no business protecting my family or showing up on a rig where my family might die because you couldn't fucking train anymore. Yep. So that's a that's a you know hard line for me. And and the thing is now when you're out in the fire service, you can actually be a little more vocal about it. <laughs> but 
it's an absolute disgusting thing that my union Jews went towards stopping any wellness initiatives. And that happened multiple places I worked. Yeah, I, re- I was reading, it was an audiobook actually, but reading, listening to this book, and it was talking about the standard. And if you set a standard, like any anybody can set a standard. If you don't uphold that standard, it gradually decreases and you you cater to the weak. Like you cater to the to the less. Lowest common denominator. And then that becomes the new standard. Mm-hmm. So all you're doing is lowering the standard, lowering the standard, lowering the standard. If you just hold just a, a basic standard, right middle of the line standard, and people can meet that standard, we can move up now. And I think that kind of leads into it. Like if you don't have a standard to hold, it's just gonna continuously drop down. And the other part of it, if, if we get people working out, like for me, my my uh, relief for things, I enjoy working out. If I can put in headphones and blare some music in them and just get after it for a couple hours, like I feel much better. I get pretty, my girlfriend could tell you about this, but I get pretty grumpy if I don't get to work out. Um, <laughs> my wife will tell you the same see, thing. <laughs> yeah, it's super weird, right? <laughs> um, but I think if, if we, create this too like people might see like wow this is a good i i could relieve some stress here you know um it could it could get people from they were drinking too much now now they're not because like i was saying earlier it messes with your training maybe they enjoyed working out they might come off of that a little bit start training a little bit more and they might find that as a stress relief for themselves right now we've just given them a new a new way of of getting stuff out from the job or or home or whatever they're stressed out about Mm mm-hmm yeah, and I think that the conversations need to be parallel. We need to create the work week that's conducive for rest and recovery, and simultaneously we need to put the bar back where it should be in the first place. And you can't have one without the other. You can't ask, like I'll, I'll pick on Orange County. I used to work at, you know, Station Fifty Fifty One. Those rescues, they don't even see the station for 24 hours. You know, that's not fair on those men and women that are on that rig. That's completely unacceptable. So we have to fix that, you know, go to the Boca schedule, which also the entire Northeast does, but no one discusses that either. They have a 42-hour work week. But then also hold the standard because this is such a crisis. I want to get to the mentorship in a second, but now I'm hearing that people are struggling to hire. Well, it's because you've put the bar down. If the bar is high, I mean, everyone wants to work for City of Orlando because they know how hard it is to work there and there's a lot of pride. Now, behind the scenes, is it perfect? No, and you know, I get to hear... All the stories from a lot of the departments and there's high, you know pluses and minuses for oh, every yeah. single one but there's a lot of pride and they set their bar high and i went through their hiring process and it's it's challenging um and you know hialeo was the same down south you know it was revered and i loved it and they like literally tried to murder us for two months <laughs> straight and it made me the firefighter that i was well, i'm not saying i was amazing but it set the bar very high yeah. for me to kind of has have as my baseline so you know it's there's no downside to this. There's zero downside, but we have to have the guts to get back to where we should be because, you know, I see a lot of people throwing on their gear and taking selfies on 9-11, but not willing to put the work in to actually deserve that uniform. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's funny for the stair climb. Is that what you're talking about? Yo, and even not the or stair just, climb. Just oh. remind everyone that they're a firefighter oh, so they can thank man, them for their service. Crazy. I was going to say, <laughs> I, this, the stair climb, not for this to sound like, like not morbid, but weird or anything, the stair climb is one of my favorite... Um, like things we do mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, obviously not because of what happened, but because it brought it brings people to to do it, right? Yeah. It's a day that it brings these people out that don't normally do it. 
civilians, wives, kids, any anybody that's out there. Um, I go to the Florida State Fire College to do it every year, and at four in the morning, there's 50 people out there with their family even that went out there and they put in the work and they, they did the 22 times up and down, right? And I think it's such a uh, a big thing. One, you're, you're remembering the your uh, a why of why we do this, right? You're remembering your your brothers and sisters that, that gave their lives for it. And it just, it pushes people to give it their all. Like I remember every year I do it, like it's miserable. It sucks being in gear and climbing all that. Mm-hmm. But when you're on the 11th, the 11th um, go, and you're like, man, this sucks. Like, I think I'm just gonna put my stuff down and be done with it. Like, no, why Why are we doing this? Good finish, you know, this is what we're here for. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite uh, things we do at the fire department. I love it. Yeah, well, and it's, it's suffering together and it's also yeah. showing the people of whatever you're attributing, you know, that you still care, that mm-hmm. you haven't forgotten. I think Every that's year. hugely important. For sure. Well, with mentorship, one more area, and then I want to go to some closing questions. But um, Chris, who we were talking about earlier, Chris Hickman, I credit him over and over again for this. He, in my opinion, has created the solution to so much of the, the kind of polarizing arguments that we hear, you know, diversity. We need more, insert, mm-hmm. whatever. You just <laughs> consider a minority here. And a lot of departments do. They just go out and drag out a bunch of people that look or, you know, sleep with or whatever the thing that they need. And they, you know, put them through and that's it. You end up with some great firefighters and some shitty firefighters. The mentorship program to me is how it should have been done. There are absolutely underserved areas of communities. And by removing all the barriers to entry, finding the best firefighter candidates from all backgrounds and teaching them how to be great recruits, how to, how to succeed in fire college, how to earn one of the scholarships that they offer is, is invaluable. So have you worked with the mentorship program yourself? So when it very first started, I helped out with it for a little bit. I right. ended up, I, I had other jobs and commitments I had, so it was hard for me to like get there every morning and whatnot. I uh, haven't worked with them recently, but I see them, like they were at the station yesterday, working out while we were working out and the how much it's grown is absolutely insane to me um my girlfriend was actually in it for oh, a while really? yep she was in it um she went through emt and medic she got went through emt got hired and went through medic school and whatnot um but like i said the way it's grown is insane to me and like when it's i went into cook last night after my workout and one of the guys comes in and they're like man they're like, have you seen those those guys out there? They're like, they're getting, they've been out there getting smoked for like the last thirty minutes. Like this this guy that works at the fire department already was like thoroughly impressed at these like kids, adults, whatever the age range was out there just like getting smoked and taking it. Mm-hmm. And they show up for free every week. It's insane. So you know, like th- those are people that are are deciding to show up. They're not getting, oh, I'm making a paycheck. I'm gonna show up. You know, I, I got to. I can like. These are just kids that are like, they're taking time out of their Saturday mornings to, I committed to this, I'm gonna go and suffer for an hour, two hours, however long it is. Like, it is pretty cool to see. And and there have been some pretty, like, really good people, girls, guys that came out of the program. We'll talk to you about that, because I'd love to hear some success stories. You don't have to name names, but, you know, how how is that contributing to them being really good probies in your department? So we have hired 
that I know of. Some people we we hire or I meet, and I don't even re- I don't even know that they were part of the mentorship. Um, we've only hired one that I know of. Um, great dude, super nice, and I actually met him before he went to mentorship. He used to work at the Publix that I shopped at, and every time I walked in there, he would talk to me about firefighting and what, how he wanted to do it so bad. And then he joined mentorship, and now we work together. It's pretty cool, and he's he's a great dude. He's a, a good athlete too. He works out all the time. Um, the other ones got picked up by Marion County, I believe. There, there's other people elsewhere, but mm-hmm. um, and I've just seen some of them go through and like solid, solid people. Like, and most of what I've seen isn't necessarily their uh, like how strong they are or anything. Um, but I see them doing things, it, and it, it makes a bigger impact to me. Like I said, they're just. They're there to do work. They're not getting paid. They're not getting anything out of these things, but they were asked to volunteer at whatever and they show up because they committed and this is what they love to do. And if you love to do something, I believe you're gonna you're gonna um you're gonna do it better than somebody else. You know, like if you care about it, you're gonna you're gonna blow it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Well, even even people that don't continue with it, like my stepson, my bonus boy, Ethan, went for he did about three or four months. And for him, it was like, okay, I realize this is something I don't want to do. I thought I did. <laughs> but awesome. He learned some skills. Yeah. You know, he's, he kind of learned teamwork. He learned some some physical skills. And then he also got to check that off the box. Mm-hmm. And okay, so it's not a firefight. And so what, you know, what is it I do want to do? So that's the other side of it. You know, if you... If you go through it and it just helps you steer towards a path, you, maybe you want to go in the military, maybe you want to go back to publics, whatever it is. Yeah. But being around that and suffering together and learning some discipline and learning about the fire service and getting some mentors in your life, I think is is incredible. Yeah, it's like I said, definitely a super cool program and watching them work yesterday because I haven't seen them in a while. It really opened my eyes, like it clicked to me and I was like, man, this is actually a super cool thing that my department is choosing to do for our community you know the community the the surrounding fire departments that get to get these people and for these these people in general you mm-hmm. know it's it's awesome to me yeah yeah and again like when you go back to the diversity topic which you know i mean that in the the negative way that it's talked about a lot it's okay you want more you know black people you want more mm-hmm. english people whatever it is <laughs> you know well then go to the area where you think that there's a densely populated group that is not being served and say hey for free just show up at this fire station these three days a week and we will teach you how to be a great candidate yeah and you'll come through and you might say no i think i want to do this beautiful now you got to be around some different people some with some different backgrounds and expose you to a different profession but you also might end up being a phenomenal firefighter or police officer whatever mentorship program you come to and that might you know take you down an incredible path but what i see with you know the the worst departments is oh we'll just you know we'll just go and hire a bunch of people based on their pigmentation or in sexual orientation or whatever it is of which if you do it that way you cannot bring you know they're not all going to be good there's going to be some shit ones so mentorship is the answer every single time for sure i've had this conversation with people and i'm 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 a female. I'm a huge advocate for well, chicks can do whatever the fuck they want. We can do anything that dudes can do. I don't care who or, or what you are. Um, but I will not condone hiring a female because she's a female. I'm not going to stand behind you and root for you if you're a piece of shit. 
I won't do it. And I'm not going to just do it because you have a vagina. Like I can't, I can't. And I've brought that up. Like if I see a chick and I'm like, yo, this girl is badass. Like she's in fire school. And I'm like, we have to hire this chick because if we don't, another one's going to come in and she's going to be bad. And we're going to hire her because there's a checkbox somewhere. And I, I, oh, that's one of my biggest pet peeves because so we, our fire department's maybe 150 people, I think. It fluctuates. I, I'm going to be, I don't really know the exact number, but I think we have seven females. So not a big percentage. And I've always had this, this conversation. If, if one of the guys in the department does something so dumb, so fucked up, or he, he can't complete an evolution, whatever it is, right? Nobody, he might get made fun of for a little bit. Nobody talks about it. Guys are still awesome right um one of the seven of us one of us does something silly and they're like god women are idiots this is why this is why they can't do what we do and not that the guys i personally work with say this but it's it's just like a thing if a female does it because there's not as many of us every female does it and so i i I can't stand it because we get bad names just from like one thing that somebody does where you got 10 dudes doing the same shit nothing you know so I'm I'm an advocate of if if they're not worth it if they're not good don't fucking hire them. Yeah. We I hate this checkbox system. I don't know if that's why I got hired, but I I would not go off of it for sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, based on what you've told us the last year a uh, year and a half hour and a half <laughs> it hasn't felt like that long. I promise. Um, you know, that's why you were hired. I hope. But I hope to. <laughs> you know what drives me crazy? I mean, we talk about this in various conversations, but. To me, the only prejudice that has a place in the fire service is those who can and those who can't. Yep. And you know, and I know, if we put on gear now and went into a structure fire that was smoked out, the only way I'm going to be able to tell, you know, anything about you is whether you're backing me up on the line or whether you're able to force the door or whatever it is. But I don't know who you spend your evenings with. I don't know what your pigmentation is, who you pray to, because it's fucking irrelevant. Yeah. I, are we going to die in here or are we going to find the person and both get out? And that's it. So even things like these unions, the the fact that you can say the word black and union or women and union in the same sentence is that union means us all together. Mm-hmm. So that is a part of the problem too, the pigeonholing that we've created. We need to bring that all back in. Of course, there is prejudice in some fire service and that needs to be squished. That's the issue, not, okay, well, then let's just make our own unions. Okay, I'm going to be the, the English Aries podcasting host union. And anyone <laughs> that fits that box, you can come join me. No, with a fucking fire service, yep. you know? And, and if, you, if you're allowing that division in that way, then what does that say about you in the station on the fire ground? So I think that we need to get back to you either can or you can't. And I think things like CrossFit and um, MMA have shown us, like, no, men and women are, completely capable of pretty much the same thing are there anatomical differences overall yes you know a a man overall can bench a little bit more than the woman at the highest level but most of us aren't at the highest level you know i'm not stronger than x amount of the population male and female so in the fire service you know we can all serve side by side and so you set that bar high and you reach it as a man as a woman as you know gay straight whatever then there you go. There's your standard. Oh, yeah, for sure. We always joke, like I always joke, I'm the golden ticket. We always say that. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm I'm a chick, I'm gay, I'm Jewish. It's like, I'm the checkbox. That's what we call it. 
But yeah, I can I completely agree. I'm I'm not like I said, I'm not a like a women's advocate. Like I don't consider myself any or like the fucking rainbow flags and shit, like whatever. <laughs> you know, like I I just like I, I tell people this the guys at work always ask me questions. They're very they're curious. It's funny. So they're like, How did did you come out to your parents? And uh I tell them like, No, I actually never like came out or however whatever you want to call it. I was like one, I'm pretty sure my family knew pretty early on before I knew, which is cool. But I was like, I don't see why I had to tell my parents if my sister didn't have to be like, hey, guess what? I like dudes. Like, why should I have to tell them that I like chicks? Like, it doesn't matter. No. Nothing else matters. Yeah, it's I like those videos, though, where, uh, you know, the, the, the son comes out and then the parents <laughs> are like, yeah, we know, Steve. Yeah, We've known since you were six. That's, how, that's how mine went. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so I'm not I'm not a huge like w- women's advocate and this and that, um, because I feel like it almost divides us more, because I'm I'm creating a separate group. Well, I, I'm I'm only gonna help the women succeed. No, fuck that. Like, if you want to succeed and you want my help for whatever reason, I'm here, man. I'm here to help anybody do anything. And I was ta- talking to like, I'll, I'm straight up like I know I'm not that strong. I I know what I look like. I know my size. And I'll tell them like I know you're stronger than me. You might be faster than me. If there's something that I got that you want, let's work on it. You can teach me things, I'll teach you things. Let's all work together. Like if I don't know. I don't I don't like separating like you were talking about. Cuz yeah. it just creates a you're trying to not divide yourself and then you're creating a divide. Yeah. It it doesn't make sense. Well, you want a perfect, you know, example of what happens when you choose a side and pigeonhole yourself. Look at the last 2 years. Mhm. I mean, yeah. my drop. It's Crazy. that simple. You got families and friendships have been broken over whether they had a vaccine or not insane that's a great way to put it actually yeah i don't like thinking about it yeah all right well transitioning to some closing questions um we have been all over the place been a great conversation (laughs) so the first one i love to ask is there a book that you love to recommend it could be related to our discussion today or completely unrelated so i'm not a huge reader um once again didn't do great in school so i'm a slow reader it gets frustrating um not a great reader but a buddy of mine told me about this book and I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, it's a leadership book. Man, I can't think of the name of it. It's like two uh, dudes. I think they were SEALs. Oh, yeah. Um, Extreme Ownership. Extreme Ownership. Okay. okay, yes. Um, so that's the audiobook I'm listening to currently. Um, there's a lot of like war stories and stuff in it. I, I kind of like leave it on. I'm not super into the war stories part of it. But once they move past the war story, <clears throat> you get like the the takeaway from what they learned in that leadership role from their war story. And when they start talking about the actual like leadership part of it or how they, um, they brought that into a corporate setting is when I get super interested in it. I usually listen to it when I'm like running stairs, right? Cause I can focus, I'm doing something super simple. I can focus to it and it really motivates me because it's the whole book is talking about how you, you take ownership of your leadership and it, that could mean leadership at work, leadership, on your own accord like to your to your person and even leadership at home with with your significant other and whatnot so i feel like i learn a lot from it and i've even like brought up some quotes of it to my girlfriend i was like hey i was listening to this book it said this i i think we should implement that or whatever and and i've i've been taking away certain things from it um to bring back and it's definitely started to change me a little bit and my attitude towards trying to lead at my my station or my department and whatnot so definitely it's it's a good book for sure good listen 
Brilliant. Yeah, it. it's, it's been recommended many, many times. I had Jocko on twice. Actually, Leif, the other author, is supposed to be coming on. I gotta, I gotta find a date for him. But yeah, they're great men. All right. Well, the next question: Is there a movie and or documentary that you love? Um, like favorite movie or like yeah, favorite. Uh, or like inspirational? Movie? No, no, anything. <laughs> so I really like Forrest Gump. <laughs> great film. Um, but uh, I watched this one documentary. It's a CrossFit one, actually. I watched a couple years ago. Frowning? Froning? Is that how you say it? Yeah. You know who I'm talking about? Rich Froning. Rich, yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's got a documentary on Netflix, I believe. And it's it's about like just like who he is as a person and, and what he's done to become the, what the world's fittest man, however many times he's done it or Mm -hmm. whatever. And is it, is a pretty interesting documentary to listen to because like that dude is a i don't know if you've seen it he's an animal yeah, he was he, a firefighter for a bit yes i did yep mm-hmm. um a buddy of mine's reading his book now and he was talking about that um but his mindset is is insane like his mindset is like if i'm showing up i'm winning that's it yeah that's the only thing that's gonna happen and i remember watching it and i was like whatever it was like nighttime and i'm like man i gotta go work out right now like I gotta go get better right now. Like this guy can do it, man. He like he had me so pumped up. <laughs> so that was a a pretty good one to watch, just to get motivated. You know, that's one of the the biggest things I can get away from you. Brilliant. I think I've seen. Is that the one where he's playing roller hockey at one part of it and um, swimming in his <laughs> his pond on his farm and all that? Uh, he might have been. There's actually a part in it, and this makes me laugh every time I think about it. Because whenever we go on vacation, I'll be like, "Hey, is there a gym in the hotel?" or oh where's where's the airbnb at can we like go for a run around it or like wherever we go i'm like hey how can we get a work in and while we're there and there's a part in his documentary where he's like trying to go on vacation with his wife i think and she like looks under their like suitcases and stuff and he's like hidden weights under their stuff she's like are you freaking kidding me <laughs> like what the heck she hates crossfit i remember saying that <laughs> it yeah. makes me laugh every time <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of awesome people, is there a person you'd recommend to come on this podcast as a guest to speak to the first responders, military and associated professions of the world? Well, the um, the two from that book that you mentioned, mm-hmm. I know you said you got Jocko and Leif. Leif coming on. The, those would be two awesome ones that I would probably recommend just because, like I said, the way they, they speak during the, because they do the audio book um, about the leadership and whatnot is awesome. Like I, I, I love diving into classes or books about leadership because you don't learn it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you don't learn leadership in school. That's not something you learn growing up. You learn to follow. Like in school, what do you do? You do whatever the teacher tells you. In sports, you do whatever the coach tells you. And at a job, you do what your manager tells you. Like at no point do you learn, okay, well, how can I explain to people what they need to do? And and they do, they do a very good job at doing that. So I think they'd be very interesting to... Uh, listen to and, and hear their sides to things about leadership and taking control and motivating people and whatnot, especially from their military background into the fire service, for sure. So yeah, I've had several members of the Echelon Front team on and uh, Leif's, Leif's pretty much the last person to get. So I'm looking forward to getting his perspective. So the last question before we make sure everyone knows where to find you, if they want to reach out, what do you do to decompress? We talked a lot about training. How do you wind down? Oof. That that's it, man. Like if if I get back to the station and I'm I'm hyped, I can work out and get calm. I I'm not a big sitter. I don't enjoy sitting down. 
if I sit on the sofa for too long, watch TV, I feel like garbage. So it doesn't calm me. It makes me like, my body might be calm, but my brain is everywhere, you know, freaking out. Um, so getting a solid workout in, taking a shower and eating some dessert, I am happy as could be. I'm good and ready for my night. What What's your go-to dessert? I like warm sweets. I don't like candy and I'm not a huge ice cream fan. So I like like cookies and cakes and brownies. That's that's my thing gotcha. for sure. My girlfriend makes fun of me because I have to, if I eat something savory, I have to eat something sweet after, so like after dinner. But if I eat too much sweet, then I need something savory again. So then I'll eat like popcorn and then I need something sweet and, <laughs> and I can't stop until I go to bed. <laughs> Uh, Brilliant. All right. Well, then, if people listening want to reach out to you, where are the best places to find you online? Um, I, I have Facebook, just my name, Nicole Kapalovitz. Um, I have an Instagram as well, but not uh, the best platform for reaching out. But I'm on Facebook. I got Messenger and whatnot. Brilliant. But, yeah. <laughs> well, Nicole, I just want to say thank you. It's been a, an amazing conversation, um, you know, especially from a young firefighter that's done a lot very early in their career um it's a different lens you know I had a lot of you know retired captains chiefs on here too so they have that perspective retroactively but you're looking kind of the other way you know you're one of the people moving the needle within the fire service so i just appreciate your time appreciate you coming to the house and thank you for telling your story today yeah thank you i was honored to be on mm-hmm.